just to kind of recap uh, indirectly, I want to let you know that in the book of First Peter, First uh, Peter chapter four, verses twelve and thirteen, this is what Peter says. He says, "Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you." So, so hear me out. Don't be surprised when this happens, when you go through trials, when you go through suffering. As though something strange were happening. I mean, when, when you face trials in your life, don't, don't be surprised. Don't, don't think, well, why in the world did this happen? Peter says, it comes upon you for one of two reasons. All right, so there's two types of suffering in this world. First of all, there is self-inflicted suffering. Look at verse 15. If you're turned to 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse, 4, uh, verse 15 of chapter 4. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, as a meddler, right? Somebody who meddles in other people's businesses. Don't, 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 be, don't, don't be those kind of, don't suffer that way. So what's the, what's the implied uh, reality? Is that if you do those things, if you, if you uh, choose to act that way, then you'll suffer, right? And we've talked about this over and over and over again. Choose to sin you choose to suffer. If you, if you make decisions that go against God's design, then don't be surprised when things that God doesn't want, when God, that, that, that God doesn't like, that God really never willed for your life, don't be surprised when those things happen to you. Now, I'll go ahead and warn you about a distortion. It's wrong to hold, to hold these as mutually exclusive. Right? Some people look at life and says, well, all suffering is self-inflicted. that this is the Pharisee's view in the book of John. If, you've done, if you're suffering in some way, then you must have done something wrong. The other kind of suffering, though, is God-ordained suffering. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to what? God's will. So is it God's will that sometimes we experience suffering? Mm-hmm. Peter says it right there. He says, let those who suffer according to God's will... Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter says, stay the course. If you look at your life and you're suffering and you can't find, or you, you can't find some way that God was trying to get your attention, you, you, you're just, you just, this thing just came upon you, kind of like Job, right? This just came upon you and you can't figure out why? And Peter says, you just stay the course and you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Sometimes God ordains your suffering. Sometimes your suffering is because of your own wrong choices. Peter says that's a reality for both of us. Don't think that all of your suffering is because you've done something wrong. Don't think that all of your suffering is just an angry God trying to afflict you. And you say, well, Ryan, why in the world begin this way? I mean, that's a pretty deep... I mean, we're just diving into the deep end, right? Let me tell you why. Because this is how God has chosen for us to view our day today. Because guess what we're going to see this morning? We're going to see the people of Israel in the book of Judges. We're going to see them this morning choose wrongly and face the consequences. And then tonight, we're going to see Ruth in the book of Ruth. We're going to see a lady named Naomi who has this sudden devastating tragedy come upon her. It's like the female version of the book of Job, and I'm not kidding when I say that. The book of Ruth is the, is, the, is the book of Job from a woman's perspective. And so Ruth, I mean, uh, Naomi has these things happen to her, and she has no idea why they've happened. And she 
struggles to apply 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. But you, this, is, this is what you're going to get today. You're going to get an under, a, a proper understanding of both of these based on Judges and Ruth, and that's why they're side by side in the Bible. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't concocted this arrangement. They were put side by side in the Bible to tell this wonderful message. And so tonight, uh, we're going to go through the book of Ruth. And can I, make, can I make a deal with you? Can we have a little wager? Is that okay? If I surprise you and tell you something that you don't know about the Bible right now, will you promise to come back tonight? I'm going to ask you a question. And if you don't know the answer to it, you've got to come back. All right, deal? All of you said yes. Okay, so here's the question. Who was Ruth's second mother-in-law? So we got Ruth. She marries a guy named Malon, who is Naomi's son, right? And there, because, uh, because Malon dies, right, all of a sudden you have this really interesting story being woven together about these two ladies. One's a Moabite, Ruth, and the other one's an Israelite, Naomi, and they're struggling because all the men in their life die. And so Naomi chooses to go back to Israel, and Ruth goes with her. And that's, that's where the book of Ruth comes from. Well, then you know that they go into, back to Israel, back to Bethlehem, and they meet this man named Boaz. Who was Boaz's mama? Anybody? Mrs. Boaz's mama, no. Y'all been in church all your lives? Y'all been, y'all been VBSs and Sunday school classes? Y'all don't know the answer to this? I didn't either until yesterday, by the way. I didn't learn this in seminary. This will shock you. And that's why I'm going to see you again tonight. You remember Rahab, the prostitute that got saved from Jericho? Did you know that was Boaz's mom? And so tonight, you've got to tell this part of the story because it's so awesome. So tonight in chapter 4, Boaz goes and literally, like Boaz uh, is ready to marry Ruth. And another man comes forward. And the moment that he's got to, he's, he figures out that he's got to marry a non-Israelite woman, he says, mm-mm, mm-mm. Boaz, whose mom is a non-Israelite, Boaz, who is a half-breed himself, guess what he does? He says, I'll marry her. But you know what his language is? I'll redeem her. I'll buy her back from her shame. It's a beautiful story. And so when I, when I, when I make a little wager with you to come back tonight, it's, not, it's, not, it's like for your good and my good. Like it's, We get to celebrate God's grace tonight in a really, really special way in looking at what God did really behind the scenes in the book of Ruth. And so I hope you'll come back and join us. But today, the Lord wants us to continue to build on the truths that he's shown us throughout the first seven books of the Bible, and that truth is your choices matter. I mean, just if you want to summarize it, get it down to the most baseline, applicable thing that we've seen over and over and over and over throughout the first seven seven books of the Bible is that your choices matter. You are becoming something, and the type of person that you are, or the the type of choices that you are making are determining the type of person that you're becoming. And so if you see yourself consistently 
making choices in your life where you feel guilty and you're convicted of sin and you feel shame because of those choices, then guess what? You're becoming a type of person when you make those choices and chances are the reason you feel guilty, you don't want to become that type of person. And so what God is doing through these first seven books in Israel's life and then by application to ours is He's saying, become my type of person. Don't, don't just settle for going with the flow. Like You need to become something else. And I want you to become something very specific. I want you to be shaped. I want your life to be shaped by my law, so choose to go with me. And what Moses and Joshua have both said to the Israelites and what God has been saying to us is saying when you make those choices, you know what you're doing? You're choosing life. Sounds very similar to John chapter 10, verse 10. Right? The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The abundant life that Christ is talking about in John chapter 10 is the same life that God designed for you in Genesis chapter 10. One, But sin has corrupted it, and we need redemption. And the Bible is pressing us towards where that redemption comes from in the story thus far. And today we come to the book of Judges. And what we're going to see today is that how you choose, what you choose, generally determines how your life goes. And then tonight what we're going to see is how you choose to respond to God during suffering will guide you into hope or despair. And so here's the story so far. We've mentioned it. God's the ultimate promise keeper, right? Man perfectly corrupted. Uh, God created perfectly, but man perfectly corrupted God's creation with his choice to sin. All of the goodness of God's creation, our relationship to him, our relationship to each other, and even our relationship to creation has been stained by this sin. And so God faithfully establishes His rescue plan and His promises to Abraham's family called Israel. The trademark faithfulness of God has been on display every week. It's been the theme of the story, that He is that ultimate promise keeper. He kept His promise and He delivered His people from the famine in Egypt through Joseph. He kept His promise and He delivered His people from Egyptian slavery through Moses. He extended His promise as He gave His life-shaping law through Israel, to Israel. He was faithful even through their complaining in the wilderness. He was faithful to give them victory over the nations of Canaan as they trusted in Him. We saw that last week in Joshua. He's faithful to raise up human leaders like Moses and Joshua, but the problem with human leaders is that they die. And you can turn over to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 1, verse 1, and this is exactly how the book of Judges begins. <laughs> After the death of Joshua are literally the first five words of the book of Judges. Human leaders are great, and God raises up faithful human leaders, but the bad thing about humans is they die. And so the book of Judges occurs in the context of Joshua's death and what happens in the wake of Joshua's death. And so just, just think back with me last week. Remember how last week, God, or God, through Joshua, challenged the Israelites. Say, saying, listen, if you'll be faithful, if you'll be faithful, then the Lord will bless you. Is essentially what he says. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. says says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers that they serve beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers 
served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Y'all probably all got that on some plaque in your house somewhere, right? But it's a, it's a legitimate call to life and death. It's a, a legitimate call to good and evil. It's, it's a call to worship. And implied in that call is that you are a worshiper. You will worship something with your life. Now, what you worship with your lips on Sunday and what you, what you, what you worship with your life throughout the week may be totally different. And you're going to have to give an account for that one day. And so Joshua looks at us even today, all of these years later, and says, choose who, this day who you're going to serve because you cannot serve two masters. Jesus said that. So choose today who you're going to serve. And the people at that point respond obediently to that challenge for a while. And so let's look at the book of Judges and see how it breaks down. It basically breaks down into three different sections. And just to refer you to, uh, to we actually went through the book of Judges last year. And so if you would like a more in-depth study on the book of Judges, we actually did this book last year, which is why I thought about combining Judges and Ruth this morning, but the story of Ruth is just too rich to, to tag on to Judges, and so that's why we're doing it tonight. But there's three sections in the book of Judges. Uh, the first section is chapters 1 and 2, right? The tribes are in their territories. God's been faithful. Joshua's divided them up, and all of them are there. But there's still some Canaanites in the land, which is why Joshua gives such a, a, a strong charge to them in uh, the last chapter of Joshua and in the first chapter of Judges. It's because he recognizes the, the enticing, the, uh, the, the influence of the people of Canaan that the Israelites might look at that and say, well, you know what, man, we could just worship the way that they worship. We could just follow their gods, or we could just do what they're doing. It'd be easier. Still the same, same temptation we face today as Christians, right? Like I said, we, we've got to stop blending in. We've got to stop saying, well, we'll just do what they're doing. It'll be fine. We, we, we need to stand apart. We need to recognize that God's called us to be holy. And cha chapter 1 is basically a summary of these tribes are in the land, and it mentions... Uh, a uh, little ordeal uh, of a guy named Othniel, who's kind of a foreshadow of the kind of judge uh, that is going to arise in the first part of the book of Judges. But then you get into chapter 2, and chapter 2 is basically a summary of the entire book. And if you remember last year, uh, we looked at this, this cycle that's mentioned in chapter 2 and that's illustrated all throughout the rest of the book of Judges. And just starting over here, right, uh, with this uh, raised fist, kind of this rebellious fist in the air, this cycle goes that the people of Israel sin, and because of their sin, when we choose to sin, we choose to what? Right? Suffer? Thank you. So choose to sin, choose to suffer. So God delivered them into suffering, right? And they recognize, oh wait, yeah, we forgot. God's the one who brought us here. This is a bad idea to rebel against Him. And the, so they surrender, Right? They cry out to God, and God raises up a deliverer for them, and that deliverer comes in and delivers them from the Amorites, and the Ammonites, and the Midianites, or the Philistines, or whoever is oppressing them at that time. And then once they get into that period of comfort after they've been delivered, they're like, man, those gods over there from Canaan look pretty awesome. And that sounds funny to us until like, we just relabel it and say that you're looking at your neighbor saying, man, that boat that he's got looks awesome, right? And it's kind of the same thing. I mean, that's, you know, and you begin to lust after, what would I have to do to get a boat like that? Okay, well, you know, we just kind of go that route. I mean, that's the way it works, right? Or replace that with a, your job or whatever. You look at the grass is always green on the other side. Or maybe it's something even more serious like your marriage, right? All, that's the same temptation. 
Same thing that Israel's facing, same things that we face today. And so this cycle is repeated all throughout the book of Judges. And so second section is chapters 3 through 16. And they tell some longer stories about the book, the, the, some of the judges in Israel. And there's an intentional um, telling of these stories to show how Israel, Israel's leaders go from good to like okay to like bad and then like to the worst. That, it's intentional, the way it's laid out in chapters 3 through 16. In chapters 3, they kind of, we, we had a lot of fun with these stories last year because these are some really epic stories. Um, you know, uh, Ehud and Eglin and, and the whole thing about Ehud's disability and God using that for his glory and, and God using this disabled man that everybody had cast off as a man to deliver Israel, right? It's just this incredible story. And so the first three judges kind of start out that way. But then you get to this guy uh, uh, named Gideon. But before we get there, I want you to let, to let you know something very important about the book of Judges. All of the judges draw their strength from the Spirit of God coming upon them. And you see that over and over, that phrase, the Spirit of God came upon, the Spirit of God came upon, the Spirit of God came upon. And it's just over and over and over. And so it's this recognition that victory comes from the Lord. We've already seen that over and over throughout uh, uh, Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua. But be very careful as you read, especially kids, as you read the Bible, you need to be very careful that when you read in the book of Judges, that you don't relate the Spirit of God coming upon somebody with God endorsing their lifestyle. Very important that you know that. Because the book of Judges is filled with some evil, evil Israelites. <laughs> they do some horrible things. And the fact that the Spirit of God came upon them is just God using them for His purposes, but God doesn't endorse what they were doing. In fact, what they're doing is a lot of the reason that Israel has been delivered into suffering in the first place. So it's important to remember this, because the next th three stories are, are much longer, and they focus on the character flaws of the judges. Chapters 6 through 9 are about this guy named Gideon, right? Gideon. Gideon was a coward at first. But as Gideon went on throughout his life, he experienced some major victories. And once again, remember this story from last year? We had a lot of fun with it about imagining the biscuit rolling down the hill, which is a dream that I've had and a dream that Gideon had, right? Except in his, it was used for deliverance. and me, it was just I was hungry. So, um, but anyway, y'all can laugh. It's okay. It's church, but y'all can laugh. Um, I may not be that funny, but, uh, but anyway, so the fact is, is that Gideon is used to deliver Israel. But, but... Gideon has such a nasty temper that later on in his story, you read that he goes back and he kills a bunch of his fellow Israelites just because they didn't help him. And you're thinking, that doesn't sound right. That's because it's not right. It's downright foolish, and we could say worse things about it. And you know how he ends his life? He ends his life by creating this dynasty of people that are supposed to rule over Israel, kind of like a kingship. And he sets his sons up to rule, but his sons are wicked people. And Gideon ends his life by taking all of the gold that he's accumulated from his victories and melting it down and creating an idol. And the people of Israel begin to worship that idol. And it's just this horrible story. And you think, well, why do they tell it then? Because the Bible uh, has never set out to portray uh, human beings as good. The Bible paints a very clear picture about the nature of human beings. Gideon 
sees God do some amazing things, but ends up becoming a stumbling block to his own people. You see, in the, first, the stories of the first three judges, the outside influence of the people impacts the people of Israel in such a way that they begin to follow after those gods. But the book of Gideon, I mean, the, the story of Gideon, things take a turn. And that turn is, is that instead of the outside influence coming and influencing them to idolatry, now the idolatry is rising up from within. And one of their leaders that they've called uh, a faithful deliverer in the past has now become the, Israel's greatest stumbling block here in the present. And that's the way the story of Gideon ends. It's really sad. And so chapters 6 through 9 are, are Gideon. He was the, he was the okay, okay? He was the okay. So you got the first three judges that are the good, the good guys, so to speak. Then you've got the next uh, judge, Gideon, who's okay. And then you've got this next guy named Jephthah. We'll call him Jeff, okay? Jeff. Jeff is like a, basically a, t- a tough guy, like a mafia thug almost, who lives up on a mountain. And the, the elders of Israel, they come and they say, hey, we'll give you money if you'll come and deliver us from the, these people who are oppressing us. And so Jephthah... Jephthah is like the most anti-religious person that you could ever imagine. He's just that guy who's kind of out there just living his own life the way he wants to live. And yet these are the people that the elders of Israel say, hey, can you come help us? And God says, well, okay, I'll use him, right? And he's a pretty effective leader and is used for the deliverance of Israel and sees some pretty incredible victories. But in the end, he is so unfamiliar with the God of Israel that he tries to worship the God of Israel just like the people of Canaan worship their gods. And you know what he says? He says, I'm so thankful to the God of Israel for this thing that's happened, this victory, that I will sacrifice to the God of Israel the next thing that walks out of my house. Now, it's not like he expected his little, like, you know, schnauzer to walk out of his house and he was going to sacrifice that to the Lord. He knew it was going to be a person. He thought it was probably going to be a servant. And so how how is Jeff thinking that he's going to worship the God of Israel? Human sacrifice. He's so unfamiliar with the God of Israel that this judge, who is an Israelite, says he's going to worship the God of Israel with the same thing that God brought judgment on the Canaanites for doing. And so that's what he does. But do you know who walks out? Who remembers? His daughter. And you would think, well, Jeff's got enough sense to know that he's, he shouldn't go through this. No, he goes through with it. And it's a very dark time for Israel, but it gets darker. Because in the next chapters, chapters 13 through 16, are the story of Samson. And even though Pure Flix is coming out with a version of the movie of Samson, and I'm sure you've seen it on your Facebook feed, right, that they're coming out with this great movie of Samson, it's supposed to be this great story, if, if they actually did a movie about Samson, it would not be allowed in theaters, folks even with the current standards of Hollywood. It's hor- Samson is horrible. I'm ashamed that I wanted to name a little boy after him if I ever had a little boy. I mean, it's, it's, it, you don't, you, Samson's like a good dog's name. Don't, don't name a person. Samson's a horrible figure in Scripture. He's promiscuous. He's arrogant. He's, he's, I mean, he's just bad all around. He has no regard for God in his life. He, he does things just to spite people. We always think, hi, you know, he tied all these foxes' tails together and then put a torch between them and set them out in the fields of the Philistines. And we're like, ha, ha, ha. You know, like that, that's just evil. He just did that to spite people. 
He had this amazing, think about, think about this, okay, because this is where we, this is where stuff just hits us in the face. He was a guy with an amazing gift, kind of like the guy we saw at the beginning of the, uh, in the video, had an amazing gift, and whereas the guy in the video at the beginning recognized that he was using it for his own glory and then is now using that gift to play basketball for God's glory, Samson, Samson, recognized that he had a gift and just said, it's all about me, baby. And he uses that gift over and over and over and over again for himself. He's self-centered when it comes to his giftedness. And he experiences these victories over the Philistines, but in the end, it's at the expense of his integrity, so to speak. And he ends his life by being used of God in a very, very humbled state. And he delivers Israel from the Philistines. And then finally, in chapters 17 through 21, things hit rock bottom. Israel is completely corrupt, and they devolve into godless, X-rated practices, and they experience their first ever civil war there in Israel. And it's horrible. And so we, we look at this, and we're like, you know, how did this happen? And this is actually something cool that we didn't get to get into last year when we studied in depth in the book of Judges. This is the reason we're doing this series, is we can just say, okay, we've gone through the story of the book of Judges. Now, what is, what is God saying in putting this book in there for us? Right? He's trying to tell us the story of Israel. We get that. We get that Israel's in the promised land. He, they've been called to be faithful. They've been faithless. And now God has delivered them into this place where they, they cry out to Him. And God's trying to reveal something in Israel to say there's a deficiency in you, Israel. There's a, there's a deficiency of the heart. You don't have the will or the motivation to follow me. There's a heart problem that, that you can't deal with and that I'm going to deal with. And ultimately, that's the reason that he gives us the book of Judges. But there's something else. There's another way that we can apply it, and a, kind of a secondary way that we can apply it. And so that just in doing that, we want to ask, how did this happen? How did this happen? And this is the way that we typically frame this kind of, this kind of question. We, do, we like to do it in a very proverbial way. We like to just throw out very quick little you know, nuggets of truth that are true, right? Whenever, whenever something uh, bad happens, specifically whenever there's a generation that arises that doesn't know God, or there's a generation uh, of our kids or grandkids, and they're, they're choosing wrong, right? And the, our initial reaction, because we love our kids, we love our grandkids, and, and we just say, well, bad company corrupts good character. And that's true. It does. Who you spend time with does impact your behavior. And the book of Judges gives us evidence, and the book of Joshua and Joshua's commands to Israel gives us evidence that we need to be very careful about who we let influence us. We need to be very careful about who we yoke ourselves to. Did you know the Bible says that you should never be yoked to an unbeliever? That's in marriage. Boys and girls, the Bible explicitly tells you you shouldn't marry somebody who doesn't follow Christ. But I would even say this, that you could take it a step further to say that the people who are closest to you, your best friends, are they following Jesus? If not, who are they following? And where are you going to follow them when they're not following Jesus and you end up following somebody other than Jesus too? 
Bad company does corrupt good character. But we can't settle for that simple short answer because God is revealing something about His design for the way we're supposed to live. It's not just from the outside influence that our kids and our grandkids and we ourselves are corrupted. There's actually an inside influence. And the real reason that the, the people of Israel fell is found in Judges chapter 2. I've got Joshua chapter 2 up there, uh, chapter 2 verse 10, but it's actually Judges chapter 2 verse 10. And it says this very crazy thing that there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or, or the work that He had done for Israel. And we think, well, how in the world did they not know that? I mean, they were commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Listen to, listen to how complete and fixated the life of the Israelites was meant to be on the deeds of the Lord. Israel was commanded, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So they should be, they should be on your heart. You should teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. All day long, you should be looking at the deeds of the Lord, celebrating the deeds of the Lord, celebrating what the Lord has done for you. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The, the fixing of the physical eyes, ultimately the spiritual eyes on the Lord, on the deeds of the Lord, was supposed to be something that Israel had just, I mean, the Lord had just said, it, every, every bit of your life. Everybody of your life, on, on the mountaintops, in the valleys, even in the mundane moments of life, I'm Lord and celebrate me as Lord. And so because I'm Lord, because, because you're called to celebrate me as Lord, then when you think about what I've done, just speak it out. And speak it out to your kids. And so what's obvious from... What we've seen in the book of Judges, see all of you are thinking, oh no, it's raining outside. We've got lunch, so we're good, okay? <laughs> Amen, right? The Lord provided. Um, and so, how did it happen? How did it happen that the people of Israel, all of a sudden, there was a generation that didn't know the Lord? It's not a hard answer. They didn't do Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. What do they do? They just shut their mouths. They stopped talking about God. Maybe, maybe they were told, kind of like we're being told, hey, you just keep your worship private. Just keep it to yourself. Maybe, maybe the temptation for Israel is the same as the temptation for us. For them, it was... Go tend to the herd, or go do this, or go do that. And with our kids, it's like, here, play this game on this phone, and don't, like, just consume yourself with something else. Like, this hit me like two tons of bricks. I mean, it's not just one ton. This hit me in between the eyes this week. 
How does it happen that people just forget God? Friends, we're hardwired to forget God by sin. And if we don't go out of our way to make our lifestyles conform to God's design, celebrating His works, fixing our eyes on who He is with what we listen to and what we watch and what we spend our time meditating on, if, we don't, if we're not intentional about that, then the world has a culture of mass marketing that is wooing our kids into a godless worldview. And this is not chicken little like the sky is falling and the world is against us. I'm talking about the basic elements of God's design for us. That's why when, you, when you're walking down the hallway, there's, <laughs> there's redemptive technology that we've printed out and that you can look at and you can go and with your little smartphone and you can scan and you can watch the video of that being illustrated in front of you. That's why, that's why on the website each week there's the message, there's the handout, there's the graphic, there's the illustration, there's all these different kind of things. I mean, listen, it's not, just, it's not just about saying, oh, well, we will all of a sudden become anti-media and anti... We'll, we'll just go and be... We'll be Amish. Like, we'll just cut ourselves off totally from culture... And we won't let any of the outside influences come. No. Do you know what's going to happen? Even if you cut off those outside influences, guess what's going to happen? You'll still forget God. Unless you do Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It says, These things today shall be on your heart. They've got to take root there first. Parents, grandparents, they've got to take root there in us first. And then and only then will our kids see what we treasure. And when they see the way we celebrate the goodness of God in redeeming our lives, and they see the way we serve the people around us as we love our neighbors, and they see the way we pray for them, for your spouse, for your grandparents, parents, for co-workers, and they see the way that you intentionally direct conversations, that's when, that's when it catches on. I got hit with this this past week because we, we did a, a daddy-daughter's date night at Chick-fil-A, and, and one of my daughters reminded me that I'd reminded y'all last week to ask waiters and waitresses how to pray for them, and guess who wasn't doing that? And so one of my daughters says, Daddy, ask how you can pray for him. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. imagine that. I said that in the pulpit last week. Okay, uh, ma'am, how can we pray for you? She was blown away. She, was li she literally did not know how to respond. And she said, she said I'll just stand by your table. <laughs> like, almost like, I'll just stand by to feel the heat, you know? I mean, but that's... That... It, the Lord has called us to be intentional. And we're, this is not a new program. This is, not, this is just us talking here. <laughs> How are you creating avenues in your life first, in your marriage second, if you're married, in your family third, grandparents? How are you creating avenues into your kid's life for the gospel and for the deeds of God to be celebrated. 
Or do spiritual conversations in your house seem so out of the blue that nobody knows how to respond? Listen, it should be, like Martin Luther called it, it should just be table talk. It should just be us just, what's the Lord done today? And celebrating that. It's not easy. And the biggest failure among you is right here. But the fact that I'm inconsistent does not disprove the reality that this is the life to which God has called us. And it's in community together. It's as we get together and we celebrate the deeds of God that we're all just like slapped around and we all leave black and blue. And, and we all just leave here saying, you know what? Yes, I, this week, this, like, this week, it's, I'm, it starts now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray with my spouse. I'm going <laughs> to... We're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna seek the Lord with my family. I'm gonna take advantage of the, the resources that, 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 that this church has stored up and, and has given us. I, I challenge you to be intentional. As parents, especially, we need to take the warning of Gideon. And as a church, we need to heed the warning of Gideon. God, keep us, and we turn this into a prayer, God, keep us from becoming so comfortable in our victories and our wealth and our past that we take our eyes off you, the giver, and begin living for something that's not even real, for some goal that's not even worth it. You see, Judges ultimately reminds us that people who give themselves over to sin, they make victims out of the people closest to them. Let me say that again. Judges reminds us that when we say yes to sin in our lives, then we end up making the people that we love victims because of the things that we begin to choose and value. But remember the Bible so far is that God is the ultimate promise keeper. And just as He, has, he hasn't given up on His people Israel yet, so also you can take courage that God has brought you here one more day because He's saying, I'm not giving up on you. <laughs> No matter how stubborn you are, no matter how much you complain about it, I want you to know the truth. I want you to love the truth. I want you to walk in the truth. You see, during these days in Israel, you don't find faithfulness, but you find faithfulness in Moab, and that's why the book of Ruth comes next. You know what, you know what Ruth means? It means friendship. We're going to see a friendship tonight that puts on display the covenant faithfulness of God. We've looked at Israel. They look just like the Canaanites. They blended in with the world. They've given, their, given themselves over sin. And the way the book of Judges ends is absolutely horrific. But then we go to Moab and we see this woman, Ruth, and God has stirred in her heart so much, to, so, much so to what she looks at this woman who's just re, renamed herself Bitter, and she says, where you go, I will go. And your people will meet my people. And your God, my God. That's, that's Ruth's declaration of conversion right there. And so how can we as a people learn to be faithful even in the bitter moments of this life? Even in the moments where it seems like, like every situation is against us. That's what the book of Ruth is about. And so I hope you'll come back tonight. And all of you have to because you lost that bet earlier. But, um, but all that to say, I know if you're like me, then this message today has been 
tough to listen to to some extent for various reasons. But the fact is, is that today is just another opportunity to say yes to the Lord. It could be something that He pricked your heart with two weeks ago. It could be something that, <laughs> that you today, it's a new realization. But no matter what it is, if He's really Lord, you will say yes. And so is He Lord? If He's not Lord and you've never trusted in Jesus, I'm going to be right down here in the front, and I'd love to pray with you, and I'd love to show, take a Bible and show you what it means to follow Jesus. But if you claim Him as Lord today, the true characteristic of a follower of Christ is that they follow. <laughs> and so how has God called you to follow today? My prayer is that you would do that. So let me pray for you.